the U.S. Supreme Court will soon issue a ruling in the landmark decision of whether former President Trump can appear on Colorado's primary ballot. Today is Trump's last opportunity to try and move his claim forward that he has total immunity from criminal prosecution. Meanwhile, here in Illinois, the question of whether he'll be on the March ballot continues to make its way through the court. A Cook County judge ruled Wednesday that an appeal can move forward, independent of what the Supreme Court decides in the Colorado case. So to help us wrap our brains around all of this is Stephen Schwinn, a professor at the University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Welcome back to the program, Professor. Thanks so much for having me, Sasha. It's always a pleasure. Good to see you. And now I'm trying to wrap my mind around all of this because this is a lot. We've got related but distinct cases happening at a state and national level. How do you say we should think about all of what's happening at the same time? That's a really good question. It's it's hard because there are a lot of moving pieces here. We have the Colorado Supreme Court decision before the United States Supreme Court. The Colorado Supreme Court, remember, disqualified Trump from the ballot in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And we have a number of other states, including Illinois, as you just mentioned, that are also considering disqualifying Trump from their state ballot. And it's kind of a patchwork at this point all over the country. So we're in a bit of a holding pattern until the United States Supreme Court issues its decision in this mm -hmm. case to determine kind of w what are we doing here? Let's stay with Colorado for a moment. So Thursday, the Supreme Court seemed ready to rule that, that Colorado can't exclude Trump from the ballot. Remind us what we heard in oral arguments there. Well, we heard quite a bit, but what the, what the justices and the advocates therefore focused mostly on is this idea that if you allow states to decide, you really will get a kind of patchwork around the country. And what the justices seem to think is that that's not really good for national democracy, that we have to have some kind of uniformity here, that states can't be going off and doing their own thing mm -hmm. and deciding for themselves that Trump is disqualified and and interestingly we heard from the justices on the Supreme Court that look if we allow states to do that that would effectively allow one state to decide a national election what do you say then to the argument that voters should be able to decide who they vote for and that a court shouldn't be making this decision for voters Right. Well, that's a core question here. Who gets to decide mm -hmm. this disqualification question? Remember, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment says that somebody who swore an oath to the Constitution as an officer of the Constitution is disqualified from running for office in the future. Now, Congress can undo that disqualification with a two-thirds vote, but the real question here behind Section 3 is who decides? So we have the Colorado Supreme Court deciding in Colorado. Mm -hmm. We have the Maine Secretary of State deciding in Maine. We have petitions going to different courts and different officials in different states, yeah. and it really is an open question. Who decides this? It looks like the Supreme Court is going to say, Congress is going to have to decide. If Congress is going to disqualify somebody, Congress needs to step in with legislation and disqualify them, mm -hmm. and that that will take effect then nationwide. Yeah, the case focuses on the part of the 14th Amendment that disqualifies individuals from holding office uh, that had engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the federal government. How, how are Trump's lawyers arguing that? in court yeah so the they're arguing trump against team, that they're arguing against that the trump team i gotta tell you sasha it's typical trump stuff this is spaghetti on the wall legal theory right they've kind of thrown everything here so they've said for example that the presidency isn't an office that's covered by section 3 of the 14th amendment and therefore the president can't be disqualified from serving 
They've said, for example, that the oath the president takes isn't to support the Constitution. It's to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. And therefore, he hasn't taken an oath for to support the Constitution. So there's a difference there? Oh, this is slicing that Between baloney. supporting and, and, and protecting. That's their theory. Okay. I, I, I'm just a messenger. They're slicing the baloney really, really thin here. And then, of course, they said he didn't engage in an insurrection. Now, interestingly, the court didn't really even talk about the insurrection. What they focused on was this federalism piece of it that Congress has to decide, not the states. Mm, okay. Let's go back to that immunity piece I mentioned at the top. Uh, it's Trump's last chance for immunity claims. Remind us what he's arguing there and how that would influence the, the cases. So is this in the so Trump being immune from Section Three of the disqualification? Yeah, yeah. So this is really interesting. What he says is, look, uh, I, I, the, I'm, excuse me, I'm kind of trying to catch up with Trump's team here. That the officer referred to in Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment doesn't refer to the presidency. Now this is an extraordinary claim because, of course, if disqualification should apply to any office, it seems like it should apply to the highest office in the land. Yet, nevertheless, what the Trump team is saying here is that the presidency isn't an office under the Constitution. It's not specifically listed in Section 3, and therefore Trump is immune from this disqualification under Section 3 mm -hmm. because Trump was, he was president, but that's not covered by Section 3. And he had never served as any other officer that swore an oath to uphold the Constitution, and therefore Section 3 doesn't apply to him. I see. Uh, listeners might remember last week a three-judge panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals unanimously rejected Trump's appeal that he can't be prosecuted for his actions while in office. Uh, explain this piece of the court's ruling, Professor, that, that he became an ordinary citizen in the eyes of federal law. Okay, so this is in the immunity case with the prosecution against him for his role in the insurrection on mm -hmm. January 6th. And what he claimed is that he's immune as a former president from prosecution. He's basically immune from the criminal law as president and former president. The claim is basically that once you're elected president, you get a kind of get out of jail free card, not only during the course of your presidency, but for all time after. This is a really breathtaking claim that he's made. He's made three particular arguments around this. First off, he said, look, when I was engaged in the actions around January 6th, and he doesn't, he doesn't concede that he was supporting an insurrection, but right. nevertheless, those actions, those were discretionary actions, he says, that he was taking as president to help enforce voter laws. Uh, really, what he was trying to do, he says, is uphold the rights of voters to cast a ballot and ensure free and fair elections. The second argument that he that he made was a kind of practical argument. What he said is, if a former president can be uh, prosecuted, what that's going to mean is that the current president will be deterred in taking essential actions because they're going to be scared for all time that they might be prosecuted for something in the future, right? Oh, okay. And then finally, he draws on the impeachment clause. What he says is, the impeachment clause allows Congress to remove the president. That's the remedy for a president gone rogue, that Congress has to step in and impeach the president. If there's going to be a criminal prosecution, he says, it has to occur after an impeachment. That's mm -hmm. when the immunity kind of goes away. Now, that's kind of a striking claim. It fails under its own weight, but nevertheless, that's the claim he makes. And again, these are pretty typical from the Trump camp, sort of spaghetti on the wall, mm -hmm. very weak legal claims. So what do you expect will happen today? 
Well, so I expect that the Trump team is going to uh, file a claim in the Supreme Court to halt this D.C. ruling and then ask the Supreme Court to review the D.C. ruling. This could lead to a couple of different results. One, the Supreme Court could just flatly reject Trump's request, Mm -hmm. and they could allow the D.C. ruling to go into effect, which then would restart the criminal trial against him. The other thing the Supreme Court might do is sort of temporarily halt the D.C. court's ruling and say, we need to think about this for a little bit, but not for a lot, and then ultimately decline to hear the case on the merits, and then the criminal case would start again. That process might take a little bit longer, say a week or two. I see. The third option would be that the Supreme Court actually rehears this case and and decides either the same or differently as the D.C. circuit. But if that's the case, it's going to push the time horizon out a little bit more. Yeah. Trump, uh, let's let's jump now to Illinois, right, where we are. He, he was trying to stall the objection of five Illinois voters uh, to his name appearing on the state ballot until after the Supreme Court ruled on the Colorado question. But a Cook County judge denied that motion. Bring us up to speed on, on that. So what we have is the basically this playing out in Illinois. And as it's playing out in different states around the country in different ways, it's playing out yet differently in Illinois. The claim here is, again, that Trump is disqualified under Section 3. The case ends up in the Illinois courts, and now we have a judge that says, we're not going to put this on hold pending the Supreme Court decision. That's, quite frankly, kind of an extraordinary ruling. I think everybody at this point has sort of put these disqualification efforts on hold nationwide pending what the Supreme Court says in the Colorado case. Mm-hmm. And so we're clear. I mean, like you said, the judge said, we're not going to put this on hold. This this. Uh said that this could not be fast-tracked to the the Democratic-controlled Illinois Supreme Court. Why not? Uh, it could, Well, it it's not entirely clear to me that it's uh, Illinois Supreme Court, like the United States Supreme Court, can fast-track stuff if it wants to. Right. And so, like instead, they're setting this other hearing yeah. on the uh, election dispute for later this week. For later this week, right. What do you expect to see next from the challengers here? From the challengers in the Illinois case? In the Illinois case. Yeah, the ch- so the challengers to Trump's candidacy, I think, will probably try to expedite this in any which way that they can. Um, what they're probably concerned about is a Supreme Court ruling that says, as we've predicted, that the states don't have authority to disqualify Trump, but that only Congress can do that. And mm-hmm. so if they can get a ruling kind of under the, under the wire before that comes down from the Supreme Court, that's probably what they're angling for. Uh, I d- I'll say... I don't have any inside knowledge about this. They have their own strategy. I'm just guessing. But again, uh, the United States Supreme Court probably will rule fairly quickly on this. And so we'll know soon what the Supreme Court has to say about Trump's qualification. And, and we've had many years of, of experience with, with uh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump and his presidency, now former presidency, and some of the uh, scenarios that have come out of that, if you will. Uh, I found it interesting how, you know, once we reached out to you you, you, and we were discussing sort of having this conversation, how, you know, you mentioned these claims being so out there that you were almost surprised by just how, I think the word you used was how breathtaking some of the, the, uh, the oral arguments were. Why were you so surprised? 
maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised. We've seen this throughout the Trump presidency. We have, haven't we? Oh, it's just striking. Yes. Yeah. And so the strategy is to lodge these sort of breathtaking claims, do them with a kind of fire hose, mm -hmm. right, to overwhelm the courts and overwhelm, quite frankly, we the people so that we really don't know how to make heads or tails of this. I mean, I'm constantly stumbling over all these claims because they're just so... I don't know how you keep up. Oh, they're so outrageous and they're all over the place. But the idea here is that if we stall and stall and stall, yeah. Trump thinks, well, ultimately we'll get our way because we'll just drag this out in the courts and basically run the clock. Yeah, I mean, given some of the timelines you've explained today, what do you make of that? Because early voting... That's already underway in some states. Oh, it's already and underway. We start what Thursday? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we're worried about the primary. We're, we'll be worried about the general election, depending on what the Supreme Court says. And interestingly, if uh, what the Supreme Court says is that Congress has to act on disqualification, we could find ourselves in a very uncomfortable spot, where Trump actually gets elected in the 2024 election. And then Congress on January 6th next year has to decide that Trump is qualified or disqualified mm -hmm. under Section 3, which would put us in a real spot because, of course, if Congress decided that he were disqualified, his supporters would see that as undermining their vote. So sum this up. What's the importance of this moment to the person listening to us who's still maybe not connecting the dots? The importance is huge, and I cannot encourage listeners enough to participate in politics, talk about these things, talk with your friends, neighbors, your social networks, and more than anything else, get out and vote. Express your voice. Ultimately, if we want to, um, if we want to control the uh, control the scenario, we have to do that in a democracy. We the people. Mm -hmm. Stephen Schwinn's a professor at the University of Illinois Chicago Law School. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's been a pleasure, Sasha.